Today's program is brought to you by Consider Bardwell Farm in Vermont, a producer of award-winning handmade cheese from goat and cow milk. For more information, visit considerbardwellfarm.com. Hi, this is Celia Kutcher, host of Animal Instinct, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to the main course on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Alexis McLaughlin, here as always with the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Philip Gilmore. Good morning. Uh, We've got guest hosts in studio today, Kelly Jones, joining us. Good morning. Good morning. Hi. What brings you here? Um, Just an interest in talking with you guys on the radio. I'm just hanging out. I just want to get drunk (laughs) on a Sunday morning. You know, brunch. (laughs) Um, we're gonna ha- we're gonna be speaking with Chef Amalia Scatina in a little bit. Um, Amalia is the executive chef of Cannon Green in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, she was nominated in 2015 as one of Food and Wine's People's Best New Chefs. So that'll be exciting. Um, but first, I guess I just wanted to check in with you, Phil. It's been a while. Yeah. Oh, in the meantime, too, we have a new engineer, David. David. Um, Yo. Welcome, David. We Thank miss you, Liz, David. but. That doesn't Sorry. stop us from Sorry about you it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for thanks for helping us out this morning. Thank you. Um, but yeah, so a lot's happened. I haven't seen you. In, well, I've seen you, but I haven't seen you in like two weeks. Yeah. Well, you ate a moment the other night, I believe. Well, yeah, with Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> I was there. You, uh, you know where you first met Kelly, right? Where you first met Kelly? Yeah. Where? Uh, we uh, had Thanksgiving with Patrick. Oh, really? Yeah, we it was spent Thanksgiving. Delicious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was a real smorgasbord. I miss that one. Yeah. <laughs> any any highlights from the Thanksgiving? I saw the pictures. There was a lot, lot of lots of food. Okay. Porchetta, turkeys, mm-hmm. yeah, stuffing. Patrick called me on Thanksgiving morning. He's like, um, Alexis, first, how are you doing? <laughs> Second, how do you cook the porchetta? <laughs> 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 I'm like, it's easy. Um, awesome. Where did I, I first met you through Patrick? Too. I met you at Roberta's for the first time. Yeah, I believe so. I think out. it was probably, I don't know, during the summer. I know it was during <laughs> one was, of the summers. It was when it was warmer-ish yeah. out. Yeah. Um, cool. How did you get started? Because you, you were, you're most recently you were doing whole animal butchery and chefing at the Spotted Pig. Um, I know you've worked a few other places in New York. How did you get started professionally? Um, well, my... I got started actually in Seattle. That's where I was born and raised. And I worked um, at a few different restaurants at the end of college just to see if, you know, I had what it what it took to work in the industry. And um, the first real chef I worked for out there was um, Maria Hines. She's got a couple of really good restaurants. She's got Tilth, Golden Beetle, um, Agridolce is another uh, big one in Seattle. And uh, that's kind of what really working for her and working up to her standards and being pushed and making successes really showed me that if I put in hard work, I can really, you know, make something of a career of this. And, you know, I've always been obsessed with food. So she definitely inspired me to, you know, and it was cool also seeing that 
you know, me being a lesbian, seeing that, you know, the chef owner of all these restaurants, she's, you know, she's a woman, she's a lesbian, and she's just really cool, and she knows how to get everybody fired up and creative and also, you know, push the team. So it was cool seeing a leader like that. It really inspired me. That's how I got started. Go team. Yes. Go team. (laughs) Go team ladies. Exactly. What what was your first restaurant, uh, restaurant you worked at in New York? Um, the first restaurant I worked at in New York was uh, the Waverly Inn, and I worked for a chef named Ashley Merriman. And um, it was cool because I had told um, I was feeling, you know, in Seattle like I was a bit too intense for you know a lot of the cooks and, and chefs I worked with. And uh, I talked to you know Maria Hines, and she said, "Listen, you know, I used to work in New York, and I can connect you with Ashley Merriman, and you can uh, start working for her." And see where it takes you. And so that's kind of how I started my journey to New York about, I think about four years ago is when I worked for her. Intense how? Like what kind of intense? Because you're you're like super nice. So it's not like angry, aggro kitchen. I have a different personality in the kitchen for sure. Um, I'm a lot more aggressive and intense and, you know, very creative. I let it kind of be very fluid within myself. So I don't, I don't really monitor too much what I say or do. I just kind of let myself be me. And I, I mean, I have a lot of flaws, but, you know, I've accepted them and I'm still working on them, but just very... So intense that you're forcing everyone else to also accept your flaws. Basically, yes. Okay. And it's a, like a pretty hard to ignore <laughs> kind of way. But, you know, once I once I got here and I started working at the Waverly Inn, um, I really, you know, Ashley was another inspiration for me as far as She's really cool. She's really tough. She she makes amazing food. And just seeing all the, the processes that go, she really taught me how to, you know, cook without recipes, you know, cook with, you know, my heart and my soul. You know, she said, go to the market. We'll find this great ingredient that inspires you. And then we'll, you know, buy it. And then once it's in the restaurant, she's like, hey, we have this ingredient. It's going to go bad. You got to think of a way to use it like you have to do this and so just learning those steps of you know how to really figure out recipes and and be creative at the same time i definitely took from her she really inspired me as far as that's concerned that's awesome is she still she's not around at the waverly inn anymore is no i heard uh rumors i don't know um how far it's it's gone yet but i know that there was talk of her getting starting her own restaurant or starting another place which you know, I think it's good for any chef because you go through so many cycles and it's nice to start over and, and you know, do something new. And plus at, at the Waverly Inn, you know, it, it had owners that were very particular about certain things, so she didn't really have quite the freedom. You know, that's a problem with a lot of chefs, you know, chef yeah, owner I think everyone's looking for that, that freedom spot. Yeah. Phil, for where sure. was your first place in, like restaurant in new york that you um well um i always i my my go-to answer is diner i worked at diner in 99 when they'd first opened but uh technically before that i was uh i was slapping it up to uh john's pizza in lincoln center (laughs) yeah from bushwick you know have you been in bushwick yeah your entire yeah my entire tenure here Nice. Yeah, so I was, yeah, yeah, back before there was even Marlowe and Son, there was just Diner. That's like the only cool restaurant in Williamsburg. There it was, bartending. I, diner's still great. Diner's still great, mm-hmm. yeah. It all, it's like one of those consistently you go and just atmosphere or whatever. It's still well, Spotted maintained. Pig, too, man. I've been going to Spotted Pig the entire time they've been open and I still love it. Oh, yeah. The it's last time I was in Spotted Pig, um, you, 
uh, we were there. I brought in my sister and Daniel Sharp and my brother, and we we're like eating. And Kelly sent out way too much food, <laughs> and we were having a great time. We look over and we see like carrot top. <laughs> like in full carrot top glory with with this like flower crown and just looked like Joan Rivers with the amount of plastic surgery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. He tra- he tried to pick oh. up my brother off the street in his limo uh, when my little brother was like sixteen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What purpose? Yeah, mm, West, downtown West Palm Beach. Okay. Yeah. Cool. He got in. No, yep. I'm just <laughs> no Stranger danger with yeah. carrot top. Yeah. That is funny. You did bring me one of the best gifts ever. Oh, kitchen gift. Well, will yeah. you explain what a kitchen gift is for people that don't maybe have this relationship with the so industry? A kitchen gift is something if you know uh, somebody from back of the house and um, especially, you know, in kitchens, uh, servers and other people in the front of the house get tipped a lot of money. But generally the back of the house doesn't. So it's nice when you come in with a big party or you come in and you, with the intent of, you know, receiving free dishes and gratuities and stuff like that to bring most of the time, it's a bottle of bourbon is a, is kind of the standard New York or twelve uh, or, pack <laughs> or tequila in the summertime. Yeah, or a twelve pack. That's yeah. another another very common one. Um, but uh, Alexis had brought me a whole rabbit, which was really nice, and the whole restaurant really appreciated it. We roasted it, and it was. I told a couple of people it was chicken too because they were insistent they don't eat rabbit, and everybody ate it and loved it. So. It, Kitchen it was, people are animals. They just tore it apart <laughs> with their hands and rah, oh, no. <laughs> they they are. It, they, I mean, it was up there for probably ten minutes yeah. in the family meal area, and it was gone, completely gone. I like to get creative with a kitchen gift. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's it's hard. And was also, it alive? <laughs> yes, yeah. very recently it was. Yeah, <laughs> you could tell by the freshness. It, yeah. it was happy when it died. Nice. So that's good. Got a pair of earmuffs out of it. Yeah. Very. <laughs> Phil, do you get kitchen gifts? Yeah. Probably Momo. Yeah. What's, do you, have you ever had anything like really interesting? I remember you got like a, a bag full of Aquaphor products once. Yeah, shipped to my house. <laughs> Sometimes it's really weird, actually. I, I get things that are sent and to, like, to, to my name, and I don't know where they come from. Like The, the weirdest one was uh, I got a – have you seen these? They're called uh, UA Boom. It's like those like little uh, speakers that are like the little oh, cylinders, yeah. And it's like so loud, like at full blast, it sounds like a you know speaker system. But it just got sent to Momo, and I have to this day I don't know who sent it. It came from Logitech from California. Like these are just like anonymous like yeah. fan gifts. I guess so. Yeah, that's kind of awesome. Yeah, that's really sweet. Yeah, it's, yeah. So somebody sent me some Aquaphor products. <laughs> yeah, it's a great though. It's, it's I, amazing. You shared them. Yeah, <laughs> like you were passing Aquaphor yeah. for weeks. <laughs> yeah. We don't get we don't get fun gifts at the warehouse. We need to bags of kidneys. Yeah, uh, we just found a whole box of lamb fry, mm. which is meat speak for lamb testicles. Yes, um, I I don't know what to do with that. You love awful. Yeah, I love it. Good How about you? You? Do you? you know, I I I do. Well, specifically talking about a lamb, I, I have never had lamb fries. Mm-hmm. I've heard that when you prepare them the right way, they can be very delicious. Um, but I've had, you know, lamb heart and things like that. But yeah. I've I've had it raw. I've never had lamb heart cooked. Mm. But I tend to like um, heart specifically. Um, and, I mean, livers too. Depending on the animal, it really depends. Like a like a duck heart is, is really delicious to me because it's like, it tastes like a mix between a, like a chicken liver almost and a duck breast. So mm-hmm. it's just very... It's a little more complex. I mean, a liver is really good too, always. Yeah. But 
I love I love heart. Um, the I have to say the heart that Izzy does mm-hmm. at Moku Moku is oh the beef. Yeah, the beef heart. Yeah, we do wagyu beef, but we you know cube it, and then we do yakiniku, which is like kind of just like a fancy teriyaki sauce, and then you dip it and you grill it, but kind of slow grill, and then you keep dipping it over and over so it gets kind of caramelized on the outside. It's so good. It's that like it's amazing. one of my favorite things yeah. on a menu in New York right now. It's just it's always so good and so like tender and perfectly cooked. I, it's amazing. I don't know how I get. I was I always like to ask butchers this. So, do you, what's your favorite cut of meat? Do you have? I mean, I of beef? I. I think it's something I'm still learning about um, every day, but it really depends, you know, by the animal. Yeah. You know, Um, in certain, like, obviously, (laughs) it's kind of a seasonal, it's pretty complex with me, but like, you know, in the winter, a good, you know, fried sweet bread or something like that is going to be super delicious. But then, you know, I'm also learning about more sustainable cuts that are, that are delicious too. So it's, it's always a a work and thought. Like, which ones? Like. Oh, just like, you know, um, for instance, like a skirt steak on a on a cow is, I mean, there's not, there's only like two skirts per cow and, mm-hmm. and you really don't, to get a nice cut, it's, you know, it's, it's hard to not waste a lot. And so I like cuts of meat where you don't waste a lot. That's mm-hmm. where I'm the most fascinated. Yeah. And also more things that we could be using from the animals. I mean, I know now today... It's with Americans, especially they go to the store, they pick out pork chops because they know what that is and they're familiar with it. But, you know, they really don't know all the cuts of meat that they would actually really enjoy. And some people have, you know, mental block. They think they're not going to like it, but they've just never had it prepared. Right. So I'm, I guess, more or less fascinated with not wasting the meat. Beef cheeks. Beef cheeks. cheeks. Mm. Exactly. Um, my favorite new one on, on beef is uh, sirloin flap. And I don't know if there's another maybe non-industry term for that, but um, it's it's really closer to a hanger steak in texture. Yeah. Really delicious. Super yeah. easy to prepare. Super tender. Um, you know, it just has that kind of like stringier, larger muscle fiber texture to it, but just like so good. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, hasn't been popular yet. And it's a big cut. You know, yeah. it's like it's good size. You can get a lot out of it. Yeah. Um, great. Well, do you guys want to? We'll take a quick break and then we'll get um, Chef Scantina on the line and yeah, grill her a little bit. Today's program has been brought to you by Consider Bardwell Farm. Spanning the rolling hills of Vermont's Champlain Valley and easternmost Washington County, New York, 300-acre Consider Bardwell Farm was the first cheese-making co-op in Vermont founded in 1864 by Consider Stebbins Bardwell himself. Rotational grazing on pesticide-free and fertilizer-free pastures produces the sweetest milk and the tastiest cheese. All of their cheeses are aged on the farm in their extensive system of caves. Consider Barwell Farm is also a big supporter of Heritage Foods USA's No Goat Left Behind program. No Goat Left Behind is a serious effort launched in 2011 by Heritage Foods USA designed to introduce goat meat to American diners and provide a sustainable end market for dairy animals. For more information, please visit www.considerbardwellfarm.com. 
Hi, welcome back to the main course without Patrick Martins on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I am still Alexis McLaughlin, um, Philip Gilmore, Kelly Jones with us now, and uh, I think we have Chef Amalia Scantina on the line, hopefully in Charleston, South Carolina. I'm here. Hi. Hello. Hi, good morning. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us on the main course. Um, Thanks for having me. Of, of course. Uh, how's everything going down Charleston? Things are good. Things are good. We're gearing up for the week, so things are great. Yeah, you got a lot to look forward to. Uh, the Food and Wine Festival, that's, that's coming up the, this weekend? It is. We're really excited about it. There's quite a few events that we're attending and participating in, so it's going to be a fun time. Cool. Can you tell us a little bit about what what events you're doing or what they entail? Um, I've never been to the Food and Wine Festival. I know that uh, Jack Inslee, our executive producer, and Aaron Fairbanks, our executive director, will both be down um, kind of recording and doing some live coverage. But uh, what specifically are, are you involved with? So I'm doing the fried chicken for the Southern Soul Brunch. Uh, that's mm-hmm. Saturday morning. And it's at Cannon Green. Um, it's going to be about 300 people, I think. And it's kind of a nice rollout of uh, 11 chefs doing different stations. Desserts are a couple. Lots of people doing fried chicken in different ways. And then some fun sort of southern brunch kind of sides. Uh, Bouv Clicquot will be there. Royal Cup will be there. I think they're doing a sketch artist, a photo booth, and like some fun activities. So it should be a pretty fun time. Are you uh, are you from South Carolina originally? I'm not. I moved here about uh, 13 months ago. Oh, nice. Very new. And where are you from? Virginia. Oh, cool. Yeah. So that's that's sharing in some of the similar low country tradition, or at least neighboring with that with that tradition and food way. It's very similar. The local product movement is exactly the same. The benefit of Charleston is that you get seafood, and in Virginia, you don't really. You get the Chesapeake, stuff coming out of the Chesapeake, but not nearly as much as what you're getting here. So it's pretty awesome. Are there any local ingredients that, uh, that maybe other states don't have that you like using and that you've discovered in South Carolina? I think that most of what I've noticed is that the seasons are different is what makes the bigger difference. Um, strawberries you can get in February, which is, like, totally crazy from where I come from. So yeah. not so much that that the product is different, but that you have it longer because it's warmer here. Mm. Um, so that's – 300 people is a lot of uh, <laughs> fried chicken to be making. It's um, a lot of it's a lot of people. We have a lot of fryers coming in. Okay. I guess that's, that's a helpful place to start. Do you have any? Uh, do you have any uh, uh, secrets uh, to your fried chicken? Um, you know, I've gone back and forth with the buttermilk into the dry mix. Now I do a marinade that doesn't have any buttermilk in it, and it goes directly into the dry mix. Um, I find that that makes for a crunchier bite, a crunchier skin. So I kind of changed my recipe up about three years ago. So. Mm. Um, but no real secrets. I think it's just like a lot of seasoning and like some love. I am. I'm a dedicated buttermilk briner. I don't, yeah. I. It's just the kind of acid, the the little sour flavor that imparts in the tenderness. I don't know what was like going away from buttermilk for you. Did was it just to for the crunch factor or to increase that? Yeah, I was looking for a better crunch, and I found that I didn't get that with the buttermilk. 
I think it's a total preference thing, though. Like, I enjoy both for different reasons. Yeah. I think I tend to, to lean more towards buttermilk when I'm doing, like, a roast chicken or just something in the oven without just just with the skin and without like a fried outside right i think when you're doing it for like a smaller amount of people buttermilk works really well because you can take the time to really kind of drain all the liquid and take the time when you're doing it for 300 people it tends to like gum up a little bit almost and then it's not working <laughs> it stops working. <laughs> that makes is, sense. Is, is everybody using different parts of the chicken? Or are you doing like some people are doing legs, some people are doing thighs? Or yeah, know. exactly. I'm gonna do. I'm doing thighs. I'm doing like a slider of chicken thigh, fried chicken slider, um, mm. just to kind of change it up a little bit and be able. To, I feel like it's easier sometimes to just like eat something that's in between bread. So um, that's what I'm doing. Other people are doing fried chicken. There's some really good sides. I know Virginia Willis will be here doing something amazing, so I think it's going to be fun. And then Vuv Clico is going to, like, totally roll it out with all kinds of amazing stuff. Yeah, uh, champagne brunch. Right, exactly. Uh, is there any, you know, getting that many different chefs into into a kitchen and cooking all together, uh, you know, everyone is used to teamwork, but i got to imagine right. that, like, some good stories come out of just doing an event of that scale totally with other totally people. We'll, learn, we'll learn a lot after this i think that um because we're doing our own station it tends to be a lot less brain damage and it's easier than when you're doing something you know where you really need to coordinate in the kitchen like it's a plate up of six courses or something like that um so it's more getting the chefs in getting them organized, making sure that they have everything they need, and then really they're just cooking in front of people for, you know, three hours, and it's and it's pretty relaxed. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about Cannon Green? I can. Cannon Green was... Cannon Green opened about a year ago. We are a full-service restaurant. We've got a really beautiful a la carte restaurant open Tuesday through Saturday and then Sunday for brunch. The menu is a... Mediterranean kind of low country mix. Think about like fresh seafoods and pastas using products from around here. Um, and then the restaurant opens its doors into this beautiful outdoor courtyard, um, which hosts any type of cocktail party to rehearsal dinner all the way to a wedding. Uh, they can get married there, and then the back doors, again, kind of open, and you walk into our trolley room, which is a beautiful room that holds about 200 people. And, you know, again, weddings, rehearsal dinners, private parties, um, really anything you can think. We do a couple of kind of cool niche sort of food, fun foodie kind of things. We've got wine dinners, cooking classes, and then we do what's called a chef's table. You can basically bring in, you know, 8 to 20 of your friends or celebrate some type of anything. And um, you get a four-course menu, prepare dinner by me, um, and it's kind of, you know, what I come up with and, you know, what's available, what's in season, what's amazing. And the entree courses serve family style, which is kind of one of my favorite ways to eat. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of in a nutshell. It's nice with with a chef table. I know a lot of friends of mine that cook really enjoy kind of the freedom that you get from that because you get so not that menus are boring, but you cook something enough times 
you kind of just want to do something off menu or something different. Mm-hmm. It seems like a fun opportunity for you to get that as well, you know, and I mean, it, it sounds like a beautiful spot. I would love to love to come see it. I don't know the next time I'll be down in South Carolina. It is really, really pretty. That's for sure. You said Mediterranean. Is there specific countries that you gravitate towards or? No, you know, I went to school abroad. I went to um, Italy for culinary school, so I did a lot of traveling around. My favorite places were kind of seaside villages, you know, seaside towns, um, Sicily, Nice, you know, places in Spain, that kind of thing. So that's really where the inspiration gets pulled from, Uh, not so much one region, but just, like, feeling like you're sort of, you know, eating fresh pasta in Sicily or, you know, Nice, Wasallon, and Nice, or something like that. Mm. That's an interesting combination to hear it with the low country. But when you think about it, it does make sense because, like, so much about low country is, you know, it's just like the the seafood, the freshness, the coast. Yeah, and right. There, there is so much the coast connection in the to water that that totally makes sense for me. Yeah, um, is that a has it been embraced? I mean, it sounds like you've been getting a lot of accolades in South Carolina. Um, how is the how has the food way changed down there, the food tradition? Because, you know, southern food has such a strong connection in food way, and then you think with the influence and, like, the connectivity of our modern world, there's so mm-hmm. much more influence that is being added to that. I don't know if you've noticed anything in particular that's that's changed or kind of strengthened with the influence of so much so much else going on. I think there's, you know, so many great restaurants here that do both that it gives the diner, like, a lot of options. So, you know, you're going to want your southern classic, you know, heavy, you know, comfort food, and then maybe the next week you want to really go out and experience some amazing type of dinner. So I just think that, like, it gives people a lot of variety, and and that's great in a city that's kind of becoming what, what Charleston is, which is, you know, like this destination, food town, wedding town, travel destination so it's got something for everyone you can experience the classics and then have something that you would get in new york or san francisco or chicago you have a you have a favorite barbecue down there you know i don't know (laughs) if i've had any barbecue here really really interesting how weird is that i know (laughs) i love south carolina barbecue what is south carolina is that mustard what's the base on Vinegar based. It's vinegar based. Yeah, like I North thought Carolina. North Carolina was vinegar. Okay. Yeah, I think I could be wrong. I don't know my my barbecue maps that well. I am going to Memphis in May, mm. so that'll be nice. a fun adventure. Nice. And I, the, what I know about Memphis is you can kind of get everything there. Yeah. It's like the crossroads of where nothing is from except for burnt ends, but everything has come there to be perfected. It's kind of like the New Japan. It's kind of like to say Japan, where they have more four starred French. Or uh, Michelin-starred French restaurants in Tokyo than they do in all France. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's like the yeah the people just take it and make it better. Um, you know, uh, Falco's going to Japan. Oh yeah, for to study pizza for a while. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we're talking about our good friend Anthony Falco. He's the pizza czar here at Roberta's. Uh, ah, cool. Have you have you ever been up to New York? I have not, but I'm looking at that cookbook right now. (laughs) (laughs) You should come visit us. I gave it to one of my line cooks, and I said, "Read this." Yeah, Um, that's cool. What was the what was the best thing for you out of that? Because I know you guys do you guys do breads and pastas and and you know that kind of um, dough based 
preparations. Right. We do um, we do a lot of pastas here. Not too much bread. Um, there we've had two properties in Virginia that both have wood burning ovens. So I'm I'm missing that for sure. Um, mm-hmm. But we do a lot of pastas here. Well, you can always add, uh, just build a bread bread right. oven just out back, right. add it to the, the to the ambiance, yeah, to the just the front yard. Just when people walk in, they can just walk past the bread oven. Perfect. Well, what kind of pastas do you do? Do you do like like heavier cream based sauces or tomato sauces or what? What kind of pastas are you cooking? Um, I so the most popular dish on our menu right now is what's called a raviolo. And it's basically two flat, large, round sheets of pasta um, with a spinach and ricotta mix, and you make sort of a barrier inside of it and then put a duck egg yolk right in the center of that. Yummy. Um, and then put the other layer of the round pasta over it, and it makes this, like, giant raviolo is basically what it is. Um, and it's a little bit of brown butter, basil, and the Parmesan. And when you cut into it, it kind of, like, molds with all of the other flavors into almost like a carbonara, kind of. And so oh, it's, like, wow. really ridiculously good. Actually, we're, we're, here, um, we're, we're here with Kelly. And then other, oh. <laughs> other pastas are um, lots with shellfish, um, lots with different veggies, um, not too many, like, cream sauces. Uh, pesto using like turnip greens or things like that. Oh, I was going to say we're here with uh, Kelly that uh, works at the Spotted Pig, but uh, I, I remember about ten years ago I had the uh, they have the uh, ricotta nudi there, and it like changed my life. Oh, you ever have nudi? Oh yeah, yeah it's like oh, my yeah. favorite thing I've ever tasted. It is so good. I feel like no one. It's like flies under the radar, and it's so good. It's so very simple, simple too. Very well, simple. Phil, will you describe right. nudi because I think there's probably a lot of people that. Have never tried if I it. understand it, because I, 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 I kind of like I, I, I remember experimenting with it. Now I don't ever use the recipe. The way I do it is I do uh, ricotta and then you know egg yolks, and then also put in like a little you know seasoning, and then I, I actually take make little balls and I actually freeze it for a second to get it hard, and then I roll it in one, and, 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 and just like, same, no, and then uh, just to get a little bit tough, you know, hard, and then I roll it in wonder flour. You know, I, I the thing go. the thing that I love about the spotted pig um, nudie is that there's actually uh, no eggs in it. It's actually, it's rich, but kind of light at the same time. Um, They use just fresh ricotta, and they let it, they store it, they roll it up, we season it, roll it up, uh, leave it in the semolina for a couple days to build its own um, shell. And it's just very, um, very simply made, but it's a very temperamental process at the same time. So you have to, Mm -hmm. you know, test it all the time, and, you know, they're, it's they could you know explode you know whatever so you i mean every time you make it you learn more each time i mean as with any pasta for anyone but, that's right. having trouble like kind of visualizing it it's it's like a pillowy light gnocchi yeah yeah it's but it's, when you bite into it it's like liquid yumminess it, exactly it's it's incendiary in the sense that it's delicious but it is also dangerous in the pot because it is so delicate it's could just explode in the water any minute mm. and that happens sometimes it happens that sometimes. does happen yeah like soup dumplings but when you get when you get a perfect nudie i also love the name i just like to say <laughs> nudie <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly but they are they are always like just so perfect you know what else uh blanca next door has uh a ravioli they serve a single on their tasting menu a single ravioli and it's they tell you to eat it in one bite because the entire center is just liquid filled mm. 
and that mm-hmm. like having that it's come when we were describing the raviolo with the with the egg yolk or just like something like that in the inside it reminded me of kind of like that sensation which is really interesting biting through pasta and then getting to this like the sauce is on the inside rather yeah. than outside but it's all like it's it's oily and fat and delicious and like briny you don't want to see it you just want to eat it yeah <laughs> and you don't you don't see it at all you only see it as like innocuous little pasta I think way too much about my food. Raviolo. <laughs> That's okay. I think we I think we all do here, so it's <laughs> yeah. good company. That's so why we're here. That's awesome. Um, if have you have you participated in anything like the food and wine festival before in other locations? I have not done other locations. This will be the third year I've uh, done the Charleston one. Charleston one is huge. Like I hadn't really realized the kind of the scope of what's going on down there, but it's, I guess it's always had its, its strong food culture, but it's really revered and kind of looked towards. Yeah. I think yeah, it's the biggest one in the one South, sure. right? Yeah. Yeah. Phil, do you have any experience like down in the Carolinas? Cause you, you travel everywhere. Um, you know, everywhere. I, I, I just, uh, I've spent a lot of time in like Asheville and Boone and Blowing Rock in North Carolina. And then South Carolina, it's just, you know, I just kind of like, you know, as soon as I start getting near to South Carolina, I'll start Googling barbecue places and, then, you know, just <laughs> drive 20 miles off the off the highway to find some little hole in the wall. So, yeah. Awesome. Oh, and then, of course, south of the border, of course. Yeah. <laughs> the best right. place ever. I Actually, for the first time, actually, uh, I just had a pop-up in uh, in Miami for one of my sushi places. And uh, we drove down there. And the way back, we, uh, we we actually actually spent the night at south of the border, which I'd never done. It was kind of disgusting. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Can you describe to us a little bit more about what that... You, do you know south of the border? I, yeah, I've been yeah. since I was a kid and For, for those that don't know it, it's like it's basically like the largest, like novelty store like you can buy like and everything says south of the border on it and it's just like you know a shot glass or a balloon or a t-shirt or a postcard or a stuffed animal it's a riff on mexican culture so everything's got a sombrero on it and so uh yeah and then they have like a motel and it was like the you know the shittiest crappiest motel you could ever imagine (laughs) nice south of the border well you gotta experience it once yeah (laughs) at least anyway south of the border actually i guess in North Carolina, is that right? On the border of South Carolina, I believe. I don't. Yeah, yes. that's right. Yeah, that's why it's called South of the Border, South of the South Carolina border. Now we figured that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. All right. Uh, well, um, Chef, I want to say thank you so much for joining us on the main course. It was great to have you. Um, if anyone is in the Charleston area. I uh, definitely recommend stopping by Cannon Green. We hope to we hope to see you soon, and, and you'll meet the team from HRN uh, next weekend. Yay! Um, but appreciate having you, and, and you know, good luck. Have a good brunch today. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Nice to talk to you. Nice to talk to you. Great. Yep. Thanks. Man, I can't believe you actually stayed south of the border. Yeah, like, what compelled there. you to? Were you? Who were, we were you just chance? driving? Yeah, it was a chance, and okay. like, sushi chef William. So we just got tired, and that was the closest place. So, <laughs> yeah. It's not even an exciting story that brought you there. Like you were reliving one of Chance's like I don't know dreams. He's always wanted to do it. Or yeah, <laughs> cool. Um, well, anyone else have anything interesting to to follow up this Sunday with? I think we got it all out. Yeah, awesome. Uh, well, Kelly, thank you so much for stopping by. I know we're going to have you on the show and just talk to you solo, but I do appreciate coming by and anytime, anytime guest hosting for you guys. With us. Anything? Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, all right. Well, Phil. Yeah. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org you can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the itunes store by searching heritage radio network you can like us on facebook and follow us on twitter at heritage underscore radio you can email us questions at any time at info at heritage radio network.org heritage radio network is a non-profit organization to donate and become a member visit our website today thanks for listening